0: Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Voices of E-Learning. I'm your host as always, J.W. Marshall with MarketScale, and we're so glad that you found us today. My guest today is James Bacon. He is the Director of Outreach and Operations for Edficiency. And I had a conversation with James uh, a couple of weeks ago, and just really impressed with the things that they're doing over at Edficiency. And uh, in the spirit of Voices e-learning, wanting to get a broad uh, range of voices, I thought James would be a great guest for today. So James, how are you doing? Thanks, I'm doing well. How are you, Jay? Doing well, excited for this conversation. So before we jump in, uh, if you could just start out by giving our audience a little bit of your background and then tell us a little bit about Edficiency.
1: Sure. So, um, a little bit about me, I began my career as a seventh grade and eighth grade math teacher in a small Arkansas town, Uh, taught for several years before moving into teacher coaching and have worked in education for the rest of my career in a variety of capacities, most recently in the central office in Boston Public Schools, uh, before coming on board with Ficiency, where now I work with schools across the country, uh, supporting them with our online software that helps simplify their flexible uh, time during days um, and all the logistics that comes with that. So most middle schools and high schools that have flex periods, for instance, is, is where we spend our time helping schools make it easy.
0: Excellent. And that's really what drew me to this conversation was the use of time in schools. I think it's something yeah. that we've not covered on the podcast before and would really love to dive deep into that today. So talk to us for those in my audience that are not as familiar or not educators. Talk to us about that flexible time and and maybe even pre-COVID. Um, how did that work? And then we can kind of transition into the craziness of 2020. <laughs> and how that may have uh, slightly changed things.
1: Yeah, of course. So. Uh, I think you're definitely right. Things have changed in education a lot, flex time included since COVID. But um, to start back a little bit more in the traditional side of flex periods before COVID, um, essentially, you know, most people, I guess, are familiar with maybe more of like a study hall for part of the day. You know, I don't know if you had one back when you were in school, but I know it's not super uncommon for people to have experienced something like that. Um, but most of the time memories of those uh, those periods were, you know at best, you know, that you got a little bit of work done, so you didn't have to do as much work at home. Um, And, you know, maybe still at best for students, but at worst for teachers, it was just kids having extra time to goof off in school, because there wasn't really anything to be accountable for for that time. And so over the last couple decades, we've seen schools, uh, middle schools and high schools specifically start um, thinking about that time differently, and often calling it flex time, or intervention time, or what I need, or often abbreviated to win, Um, you know, even activity periods really kind of runs the gamut uh, for what people call it these days. But what they really are doing is thinking about that time in more intentional ways um, that they can actually, you know, leverage that time with their kids. Um, Because as most teachers will tell you, as a former teacher myself, time is probably the most valuable resource we have with our kids. Um, And it's not uncommon that you're, you know, teaching a group of kids at the same time, you know, every day, and you're teaching that same lesson to different groups of kids every day. Um, but not all kids, you know, get the same thing out of a lesson and learn at the same rate, um, at least in every subject and on every topic. And so, schools essentially are saying, let's find a way to bring kids together with the teachers they need more time with and be more responsive to their needs. Um, you know, and so kind of in a little example of how most schools start. Thinking about using this time from a teacher's perspective is to say, you know, I'm a I'm a teacher and I taught a lesson yesterday that you know I had three to five kids, let's say, in every single one of my classes that maybe struggled and didn't quite learn it. When I looked at the work that they produced by the end of our period, Um, instead of now trying to figure out tomorrow, do I just leave those kids behind for the other 20 kids in my class that did get it um, and keep moving, or do I try to like make the 20 kids wait so I can catch those five kids up? Instead of having to you know think about time and like a fixed chunk of Uh, or fixed interval of time with a single group of kids and trying to meet all their needs at once. I can now pull those three to five kids from each one of my eight classes into the same room at the same time tomorrow, catch them up so the rest of the class and those kids can all move along to the next day's lesson. Um, But I think what a lot of schools have also come to realize as they, you know, start with this kind of mindset about it is that this also gives students The ability to choose part of, you know, their day and how to spend their time, because not every kid is going to have a specific reason to see a teacher, um, you know, for something like I just described every single day, for instance. And so it really opens up other opportunities so that, you know, maybe you can provide enrichment, you know, activities to go deeper on topics and in classes that kids just wouldn't have time to do otherwise, Um, or, you know, they can be more involved in school activities with clubs and other organizations, um, you know, that they can be excited to come and, you know, choose how they spend part of their day. Um, you know, and then really at worst, it's it's still maybe for some kids some days a study hall um, is, is like the worst case scenario. Um, but really, we're we're seeing schools be able to just provide more opportunities for kids academically and socially and extracurricularly that traditionally just would be forced after school. And as you know, in most cases, we know it's it's a burden for teachers to try to stay after school to do stuff like that. And it's also a burden for kids and families thinking about transportation and all the other logistics that are that are often involved with after school lives. So um, yeah, that's kind of how traditionally flex periods look. Um, And then kind of moving into COVID, you know, we've seen a lot of different things (laughs) happen, right? Um, You know, when schools shut down last year and went virtual, you know, to be honest, we had a lot of schools that were basically saying, like, we don't even know how to reach kids virtually, um, you know, some schools already had one-to-one devices, but many didn't. And so, you know, that was obviously the first priority, just figuring out like how to even get access to our kids in a lot of situations. Um, but as schools got more settled into this, you know, virtual or at least partially virtual world, in most cases, as we entered the fall, um, we saw most schools think about bringing their flex time back. Some even starting it for the first time, knowing that it was a way to more flexibly respond to student needs. Um, which, you know, has been a challenge in COVID because, um, you know, learning virtually doesn't work the same as we' learning in person for every kid. And, you know, and for some kids, maybe it does work better. And so maybe, you know, they don't need as much time with teachers, more one-on-one or small group, but in a lot of cases, that's not the case. And so um, we see schools, you know, at least first start kind of thinking about flex periods uh, virtually as we work to, adapt our software and allow schools to schedule virtual flex periods and so some schools used it in a similar model just now it was virtual some used it um in you know more you know like uh I'm trying to think of the right word but ways uh, maybe more like a uh, student teacher conferences almost set up where you know you could just have like small little periods like 15 minutes each where one kid could sign up to just meet with the teacher as an extra touch point since that you know human interaction that you can get in a building just wasn't really possible when you were you know, both at your own independent locations of each other. So, um, so yeah, I can talk a lot more about this obviously, but I'll go ahead and <laughs> I'll go ahead and stop there.
0: Yeah, no, and you've given me so many questions just from that answer. I love that you um, talked about enrichment and other activities, you know, as, as a way to maximize these times as well. It, it's, it really just feels like it's matching students and their needs and interests with the educators and their time. In a much more meaningful way that's really not bound by that. I did have a study hall way back when I was in school (laughs) uh, that one those four walls right where you're just there with a lot of other students sometimes kind of randomly, and you've got a sometimes a teacher sometimes just a proctor to monitor the study period and everybody was on their own now. Um, I could see the advantages online as well as on site, and even a hybrid model where uh, maybe a student is in a, a study hall room, but they're on their computer with their headset in, and connecting with a teacher across campus or across the uh, school that's helping another group, um, you know, with a science project or something like that. Um, what do you see kind of moving into 2021 as far as a lot of schools possibly having? Um, you know, hybrid uh, this spring and possibly into the fall. Um, some on site, some not on site, and some teachers sure. on site, not on site. How do you see this uh, system kind of playing out and maximizing time in that scenario?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, it's it's really interesting. I do feel like we're starting to kind of turn the corner a little bit right now with, you know, schools, you know, have not had the luxury of thinking uh, too far in advance uh, for this past year, a lot of just solve the problems in our face now. And I think we're starting to see them, you know, now that they're settled in and can better predict, thinking about the future. So um, I I still think it'll be interesting to see where schools land. um, And I predict that we'll have a wide range of schools and districts taking many different approaches to this in the fall. Um, But I do think that, you know, like what some of of the things we're seeing a little bit already that I kind of anticipate coming into the fall to your point is I do think that you know more and more schools will continue to be back in person as we're starting to see you know even now rolling out um but I think we're still even in those situations going to see districts offering online options for students because they don't they know all their students might not want to come back in person yet they might not be ready even by fall and um you know they might even have some teachers that just really aren't ready to be back in a full class and so they might you know structure their system to work where they have different cohorts of teachers that maybe support the online students while others support their in person students i think that a lot of schools honestly probably won't have quite that luxury and so they're going to be in a world where their teachers are going to be supporting both in person and virtual kids at the same time whether that's a more traditional hybrid where you know like some kids come on A days and then are home on B days and vice versa. And it rotates, you know, versus those kids that are, you know, either coming all the time in person or all the time virtually. And and I do think that it will be interesting to see what that looks like. You know, we um, have some schools that kind of only offer their flexible time to, um, at least during the school day, to their in-person kids, for instance, whereas other schools open it up to have certain sessions during that time designated and kind of earmarked for in-person versus virtual. And then, um, you know, some that maybe offer in-person flex time during the traditional school day, but then they maybe have like a slightly shortened time, um, you know, so that teachers after school or at different points in the day can offer those virtual flex periods and supports to kids too. Um, But what you mentioned is I think um, what we're going to also start to see happen more and more, and we even Seeing a couple of our schools, there's one kind of bigger one in Texas I can think of that's doing this already. But um, they have, you know, maybe 60% of their kids on campus already. They have about 40% that are still at home on a regular basis. And now they're using our software to schedule flex time and offer things um, to both virtual and in-person kids. But the the approach they're taking with their in-person kids is a little different than what we're seeing in a lot of places, where they're actually saying, in-person kids stay in the same room that they were in before this flex period. And they also then log in virtually from another room to work with the teacher while some kids are logging in from the room next to them or down the hall. Some might be in that teacher's room. And then kids are also logging in at home into the same session. So, you know, they're thinking about the way that time and space interact with each other in, in just a little bit more of a unique way. And I think are, are excited to, to do that. Cause as we have seen in a lot of schools, and I'm sure most teachers can tell you trying to support kids virtually and in person at the same exact time just does become tough, especially when you have more than a handful of either group at play. So
0: yeah, that's some of my prediction. Yeah, and it seems like there's also a lot of moving parts literally in a school when (laughs) students are moving class to class, And that's tough for six feet social distancing or physical distancing. Uh, It's tough for just common areas getting, you know. uh possibly contaminated, needing to be clean more often. So it seems like that would make a lot of sense, at least this spring and and potentially in the fall to minimize the movement, the physical movement of a a school, which think back to 2019, you just don't think twice about it. Everyone moves every 45 minutes or 90 minutes and different people in different places. So it does seem like that would be another advantage to uh, a system like this to, and just minimize the move time students are late getting from one side of the campus to the other some of these school buildings are rather large um, and they're running up and down stairs and so um, I feel like that could be uh, something that a lot of schools are dealing with right now today this spring and and are potentially looking at what are some better ways to to manage that in the fall and and this could be a good solution
1: yeah so I think you are right and I think you hit the nail on the head it's interesting because You know, back even before COVID times, a lot of schools, What part of what they loved about our software was not only that we saved them time with logistics and like the many hurdles that you have to try to overcome with, you know, just pure man hours um, or people hours in your building, Um, but they really liked the fact that we could save them time. But more than that, that then they had a super easy and quick way with attendance to know exactly who was in what room, anywhere in the building. And we have really seen since COVID just how important that is. Um, Because even if you have kids moving around during this time where they might still go to different rooms, now you have a record if you need to do any contact tracing of any kind, which we're starting to see schools do. You know, during that flex time, like who was there, were they marked absent or present, so who do we need to notify and who do we need to think about to follow whatever quarantining protocols or whatever contact tracing protocols schools have in place. Um, but you're definitely right that I think that certain smaller schools might find it a little easier to, you know, at least on average, every school is different, but find it a little easier and not be as worried about the mixing up of kids, even with these times we're in, you know, but then we support schools that are 2,000, 3,000 kids, Um, and so the idea of, like, mixing groups when you really are worried about and have strict contact tracing protocols in place that could really impact your school you know, you you might choose to limit movement more than you would in traditional ways, and you know you're looking for ways to to still give kids what you know they need um, with you know the constraints that you just unfortunately are are working in right now with COVID
0: yeah and then on the virtual side virtually tracking where students are um, which (laughs) zoom rooms and which teachers are they connecting with because i can only imagine a virtual flex time study hall is you know kind of an abyss right you don't know if they're even paying attention or doing anything and so it seems like this would would be a win-win there as well in that again matching and connecting opportunity Mm -hmm. with need but also that accountability and tracking
1: Totally. And I think we're seeing a lot of schools, you know, think about it in that way. And in most cases, our schools that are thinking about opening up flex time, you know, for students that are virtual, they they certainly are excited to give them the option to get, you know, more tailored time to their needs with teachers, because they know that they don't have that opportunity now more than ever. And it was already hard even before COVID. And now it's even harder. And so engaging those kids and feeling like you have you know, the touch points you need to really kind of assess how they're doing, to be honest, as people on top of even just the academics in your class. Um, So I think they're excited to have an option that gives them, you know, the chance to call kids in or at least request that they attend something and then take attendance and hold them accountable for it, to your point, and then give them those options. Um, But we are seeing kind of, you know, a mindset shift in other ways there and say, you know we've we've thought about synchronous and asynchronous learning differently because of Covid. Um, and that was already a trend that was starting to happen, to be honest, with personalized learning and why a lot of schools were excited to you know talk to us and think about our software. and it's something we're thinking about, supporting schools in a much bigger and different way moving forward because of just how much we're thinking about it, and we're forced to do things differently with that. But I do think that with Flex time specifically to your point, you know i think we're thinking about those kids at home like why force them to attend a zoom room and be on a screen you know in ways that maybe don't make sense for them to do and so you know maybe it's opt-in for students that are that are virtual to flex time because you know there's no need to show up in a zoom room if you're just going to sit there and you know do your own independent asynchronous work and have a have an adult waste their time like watching your picture and hope your eyes are moving on a screen anyway and so I think it, it is interesting to see even just with COVID, the mindset shift around flex periods and what that part looks like so that kids can, can really own their time in a way that is different from before, to be honest. And I think that will only, you know, better suit them to move on, especially those high school kids to whatever it is that they're moving on to in that post high school world, whether it's college where your time is certainly not managed in the same way for you as high school. Um, or you know especially in a in a workplace it's it looks very different as well so um, it is exciting to think about that and I know not all kids respond the same to that and need different things to get there and so I think it's neat that we have options with flexible time and scheduling that can you know try to scaffold kids into that based on what they need especially if you're thinking about those like younger kids like middle schoolers that that you know that's a challenge but but at least now you have some data to back it up too and know do we need to do outreach you know are they Are they taking advantage of this time like if we're gonna have a conference with their parent about how they're doing. Have they tried to connect with the teacher during this time and made some kind of outreach at all this whole year like you now have a different data point to to jump into those conversations and get to a more meaningful uh, outcome much faster in most situations too.
0: Well, and and to your point, you have given this experience to a learning opportunity to students to choose their own adventure to some degree, but in kind of a training ground environment. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's really empowering to students, which I think is another key takeaway from 2020 and the pandemic is giving students more of a voice and more of a a say in what they need, because a lot of times they know better than than we do, um, or at least will give us things to think about that we might not have been top of mind. Mm -hmm. And also... The data, my mind's starting to run with so many things (laughs) that uh, a district or a school or an educator could use with this data, as far as student preferences to what are they picking, as far as uh, which students are you know doing more choosing and which ones are doing less. um, It just seems like there would be some great data um, (laughs) analytics here that are going to make everyone better, that are going to make the the education offerings better. Um, Also, in light of uh, unfortunately a topic we've been talking a lot about and will be for a while, um, learning loss, this couldn't be a more important time to maximize your, your flexible time, right? Um, this is a real problem. The research has kind of been up and down on how bad it is, but we know it's bad. We know it's worse than usual summer, you know, learning loss and getting the most out of this flexible time just seems like one concrete strategy that districts and schools could start to implement, uh, sooner and later this spring and going into next fall uh, as a a real tactic to combat a lot of this learning loss we're seeing and, and even in the summer, I'm assuming you use this for summer school programs as well.
1: yeah, so those are all great questions i do I do think that it'll it'll be interesting to see what the data says um you know around that, but i I think you know every teacher could tell you that learning loss is at least something that they're worried about and have been for the past year in some capacity and And it's interesting because I do think flex time was already like one of the natural ways to be thinking about the learning loss that we knew before COVID just already was real over the summer slide or, um, you know, or even just students that, you know, had trouble engaging for whatever reasons and, you know, just struggled to kind of maintain that um, knowledge from earlier in the year to build on later in that subject. And then for next year's, you know, like the next math course or English course or whatever's next for them. Um, and, And in this world, I think it's, there's just so many things now that are challenging that weren't before you know teacher burnout is real um principal burnout is real and those were real before covid they're even more real now um but i do think that you know whilst kind of initially schools thought about flex periods as well neat, like are these a nice to have situation like it just seems like we have too many fires to put out that we can't even think about that you know at least when things first started unfolding with COVID. But I think that in most situations, um, schools that already had them are realizing like how much of a tool this has to be for them to to make up for that time that they've lost with kids for whatever reason over the past year with COVID. Um, and we're seeing, you know, as schools, like I mentioned before, starting to turn the corner now to think about okay, we can start planning for next year's schedule. This is the time schools normally are doing that anyway. Um, you know, how do we start putting a flex period in our schedule if we didn't already? And you know, we've seen a big uptick in schools that are just interested to know, you know, we haven't done this before. What does it look like to do this in a school? You know, like we're assuming we'll be back in person, at least, you know, in some capacity, if not, you know, on the the majority side of things in the fall. So, you know, what are just examples of schools that have done this? Like what are different models schools use? Because schools, you know, there's a lot of overlap, obviously, but there's tons of nuance in how schools really think about that. And And one of the things I think schools that haven't done it before are most concerned with are like, how do we find the time? Because, you know, like I said before, time is the most important thing, you know, in schools, it's the most important resource they have. And I think most educators would agree with that, put it up there, you know, at least in the top few, if not as number one. And so rethinking time is just a hard thing to do. We've been slow to do it in education over the years, but, um, but I do think this has been an impetus to, to say we don't really have a choice anymore. We we haven't had a choice for this last year, but to rethink it in some ways, and we we don't really have a choice but to rethink it moving forward too. Um, so let's think about building on to your point I think earlier, like what we know and what have we seen that people are already doing that worked, and then now how do we take it even to the next level? Um, you know, we're seeing more and more schools. You know, I think of some kind of out west and like Utah that we've been working with who have already started implementing like entire days. One day a week where it's all flexible time. So, you know, you really think about, you know, maybe more of a little bit of a traditional school, and many of them still have the traditional flex period in their Monday through Thursday. And then they move to something like a Flex Friday, where Flex Friday is no set schedule. Some of them, it's even optional if kids come because they're giving kind back to kids to say, you also can work asynchronously on things, you know, on your own time and use the time as you wish. Um, you know, we're going to hold you accountable to, you know, doing what we know you need to do. But um, then they can let kids opt to come in for, you know, different types of lessons and remediation or maybe even enrichment on Fridays if they choose to, Um, you know, or teachers can opt to pull kids in on Friday and they're still expected to come if a teacher requests that they come on Friday. Um, But it's also really neat because some schools don't even require kids to come all day if they come on Friday, at least if they have their own options for transportation, which is, you know, often more possible in maybe bigger cities where there's public transit or, you know, if kids have their own, you know, transportation of themselves in high schools in certain situations. But, um, you know, it's it's interesting, we're even seeing a school in Colorado that we're now working with. And they, you know, are asking us to literally schedule their entire day every day, and continue to kind of move more and more where less of that time will be set in stone. And more and more of it will be around, you know, how do we make sure that kids get what teachers know they need and that you know those kind of more formative learning experiences that maybe you only need a couple touch points on during a week and then otherwise they just offer different offerings for kids to go deeper in places that the kids want to opt into or to come in and get caught up on areas the teacher looking at data assesses that the student needs Um, and so it's it's just really interesting and exciting and I think we'll start to see more and more schools doing things like that, uh, moving forward from COVID and thinking about everything, um, you know, as more flexible, responsive, um, and involving a more sense of student choice as we move forward.
0: I love that. And and it seems like it's the best of both worlds. Flexible, everyone kind of loves the idea of flexible, right? But it's yep. also uh, collaborative, it's coordinated, and it's intentional. And it's, yep. and it's efficient, right? And it's not yep. just flexible time as a traditional study hall that is not always productive for every student. So that's exciting to even hear about flexible time that students could choose to do some of the asynchronous learning Mm -hmm. during that flexible time. And now schools or educators would know that that's Mm -hmm. when and how they're consuming that piece of it uh, versus just hoping that they do or trying to test them on it. Um, That Mm -hmm. could actually be built into the schedule, but with flexibility which again, kind of seems like the best of both worlds. I know you've you've shared a few great examples um, through our time here, but uh, I'd like to kind of end on a half glass full on a positive note. Um, and I know it's usually, oh man, there's so many success stories to choose from, but what would be another success story or two uh, that you've seen uh, in 2020 or starting here in 2021 that uh, would give some more food for thought to our audience?
1: Sure, so... I think one kind of example that comes to mind is, you know, is a school. So, you know, we talked a little bit more earlier about kind of that study hall idea. Another kind of like idea that, you know, sometimes schools have is, you know, they'll have like an advisory or a homeroom kind of a model, if you're familiar with that looking, uh, you know, schedules that look like that in especially high schools, but even middle schools. Um, I know my middle school when I taught had one. Um, And you know, often they sort of start initially out of the idea that, you know, we just have some certain announcements and we want to have like certain data touch points that we just need kids to be in the same place every day. Um, And then they start realizing, okay, well, we can do more with this time. And so then let's try to have everyone read during that time or, you know, check in with kids or think about social emotional learning. Um, And so one of our earliest schools you know, kind of had, it was a high school, you know, it had a model similar to that where kids would go to their advisor and they were basically saying like, let's really, you know, double down on this idea of building relationships with kids, but then let's also try to make it, you know, academic focused and, you know, leverage these relationships to to help kids, you know, stay accountable for, for learning and kind of get caught up on things. And and so, you know, they were, they were trying to do that, but they're they were honestly so kind of bogged down by just the pure logistics that that come with like, how do we start to think about doing that where kids would move? So let's not do that. Let's just keep kids in the same room. And then let's try to share between teachers, like all the data we have on kids with the homeroom or advisor or teacher, and let's have them try to then talk to kids about, you know, their, their work and their progress and what they're thinking and learning about in all their subjects. Um, And as they did that, um, they, I think, kind of, you know, quickly realized that there's some ways that it's helpful, but it's also arbitrary in others. You know, like, if you're in my homeroom and, you know, we expect to stay in that group for four years, like, am I the best person for you to have that relationship with? Um, And, you know, on top of that, like, am I the best person to be trying to help you, one, stay accountable in anything but what I teach you in, if I even teach you during the day? And then two, you know, like, if I teach math, like I did, Am I the best person to help you with English and science and art and, you know, any of your possible subjects? Probably not. Um, And so when they were able to use our software, they really were able to just kind of have like a paradigm shift about the way that they were thinking about relationships, uh, social emotional learning support, um, and then just like truly working with and supporting their kids. And so they since bringing us on have then said like now we you know might pull kids in, you know maybe some more of those arbitrary groups for relationship building over time um, you know maybe like once a week or once a month you know just so you still have a touch point throughout your whole high school career with a single person that maybe has somewhat of a holistic view of you but let's actually realize that when there's intentional reasons for kids and teachers to connect the relationships are much more natural and then often much much deeper. And you can actually like know a kid in more nuanced ways on top of then supporting them on anything academic that they might need support on or helping them like explore interest because they also love what you teach and want to go deeper with you in ways that you just don't have time in your regular classes. And so they've seen not only like attendance improve, they've seen their kids like overwhelmingly, I think like 96% on surveys say that they like really value their flex time and don't want it to go anywhere because it really makes them look forward to coming to school on a daily basis. Um, you know, and seeing their test scores rise, attendance improve, they really have just like overall seen all the metrics, um, you know, all those indicators, whether it's, you know, qualitative or quantitative data, um, you know, over the last several years, just, you know, move in the right direction. Um, And then many schools, even though, you know, they kind of early on in this, I think is one where it's like, you know, change is hard. Like it's a little nerve wracking as a teacher to say like, wait, wait, you're giving me a few minutes less in my normal classes where I already didn't have enough time. And then now you're going to give me something else I have to think about and plan every day. You know, it's 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 hard to think about that, you know, new way if you're used to doing something different. Um, but I think one other nice thing is that that school, and this is something we hear from most of our schools, is that, you know, after that initial learning curve of the first couple months, if not maybe year, happens, uh, school culture among your staff and your students also tend to rise Um, you know some schools take surveys on it that kind of like prove it around the ways that they like to measure that Um, but it is at least something we hear qualitatively from just about every school um, that one included and so um, that's like one that really stands out to me and I'm just excited also because some of the ones I mentioned before that we're working with now to think about scheduling you know entire days or entire you know days of the entire year for them um, just to really see where where those schools go in the next couple years.
0: Oh, and so many thoughts on that. Um, You could intentionally schedule flexible time for your educators or block off time so that they have to take a break to avoid burnout. Um, Also, so many districts and schools have uh, leveraged contract um, workers in this virtual environment, especially with SEL, with mental health, um, that they just didn't have all the resources they needed because all students need, you know, some level of mental health support now. Um, so you could even bring in third-party resources, or maybe that great uh, retired uh, math teacher to be a tutor at certain times of uh, the week, um, remotely. You know, and yep. students could join that way. So it seems like it really does open the doors up in either virtual or hybrid, uh, you know, or even on-site um, to again get the kids what they need when they need it with the best educator with the availability it's just uh sounds too good to be true. So <laughs> on that note, my last question is how how hard is this to implement? Um I'm assuming every uh teacher, every student has a login to the system. Sure. Um you're updating calendars by the for the educators. Um what does that, you know, kind of look like um as far as uh did, I'm assuming it takes a little work to get set up and running to get all these benefits.
1: Sure. So so there obviously with anything is going to be some setup. We, you know, are are our name is Efficiency, right? So we really try to make things as efficient as possible. My partner and I both are former educators and administrators. We know if it's not easy and doesn't save you time, teachers and, and school leaders don't have the bandwidth to take it on and aren't gonna find much interest or value in it. So, so we do value that and really, you know, that kind of drives everything we do hence why we named it Efficiency. Um, so on the front end, it's it, you can we can sync with any student information system to get the information we need from you if you'd like to set that up. Um, We can also choose to just have you download a couple things from your SIS and just give it to us. So really, it takes one person or however many people you decide to do this one set of jobs, maybe a couple hours on the front end to get it set up from that sense. And once that is set up, you know, within two business days, if not less, we'll have your site built. It's tailored to your school. Every teacher, student and admin has a login. You can single sign on with Microsoft or Google again to make it easy because we know you have a lot of different Um, you know platforms you might be using and you don't need to remember 80 billion passwords for them all Um, and then we really work with schools and set up about an hour hour and a half train the leadership team whoever they decide in their building is that group of people they want to be those local experts to really lead the charge for rolling it out in their building Um, and then you know we always tell schools after that hour and a half if you want us to continue to move forward and you know be as hands-on with you to train the rest of your staff. We are happy to do that. Normally, it's virtual, especially in these times. But um, you know, honestly, only I think maybe two or three schools have taken us up on that because they feel you know everything makes sense and it's intuitive. Um, so really, you know, they feel like they have what they need to just train their staff. And we build in a lot of you know one to three-minute videos for staff and students to you know kind of be on-demand training or reminders on anything that you might want to do in the system. Because we know that you know, I'm a former teacher. I'm. We've all been to professional development of some kind. You know, you can't just become an expert after like an hour, or even like a eight hour training. Like you would get bored. Um, so really, we try to make it on demand. So it's just easy and at teacher's fingertips whenever they have a need for it. Um, and then yeah, they kind of just get off and running. And you know, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't somewhat of a learning curve of just like knowing some of the nuance because our system can do a whole lot for you. Um, but really, it's it's normally pretty intuitive um you know well over 90 percent of people say it we're easy to use and we save them time um so um, normally that learning curve is pretty quick in most most instances
0: i love that uh yeah and anytime you need uh, a full day of PD for one product. The product is not <laughs> yeah. uh, very user friendly or, or too complex. So I love that within an hour, hour and a half is a reasonable time to get up and running. And then like anything else, it's continuing education. You're learning new things as you go and, and getting mm. support on demand videos, that kind of thing uh, seems like you're following the best practices there. So um, <laughs> I've got a whole bunch more questions and ideas around this, but we are unfortunately running up on our time. Uh, right. James, thank you so much for joining us today. This is been really insightful
1: yeah of course well thank you so much for having me i I also could talk about this for forever i find it really interesting there's just so much we can do but um but anyway i really appreciate you having me here today i hope that uh, you all out there listening find it you know at least helpful in the way that it pushes you to think about something at least an idea maybe you hadn't thought of before but um yeah thanks for listening to all of you out there and thanks jw for your time today
0: too Absolutely. To my audience. Thanks as always for uh, checking out this episode. Be sure to check out past episodes and we'll see you on another episode next week. Thanks again. And always, always keep learning.